Welcome to the Line Cool Podcast. A tennis show presented by Hector and Toby. Welcome to episode 13 of the Line Cool Podcast. I'm Toby. This here is my co-host Hector. Hector, how you doing? I'm bloody great, mate. I'm bloody great. I'm really excited to be podding again with you. We're getting back into the swing of things, aren't we, mate? If you'd pardon the tennis pun. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't even try. <laughs> Too easy for you. This week, we are going to be looking ahead a month or so as the ATP Tour Finals are soon upon us, the end-of-season climax for the ATP Tour. It's the last sort of major event of the year. They've still got one Masters event left in Paris, but aside from that, there's a few 500s, a few 250s, but this is the one, the big one. Yeah, I mean, well... Also, you got to think there would normally be another Masters event in Shanghai, but seeing as the um, the events in China have been cancelled this year, we we haven't got that. And it's, it's a cracking tournament as well, actually. I'm, I'm kind of sad that we're missing out on a um, uh, you know, another Masters this year. I think they've whacked in another couple of five um, hundreds to kind of bolster bolster the like feeling of it a little bit. As as we can see from the um, schedule, they've put in a lot of one time license. Um, tournaments to to fill in those those missing Chinese tournaments. So we have you know the Tel Aviv Water Gen Open, the Seoul Open in Korea. Sofia, we already had that. Uh, we have Gijón in Spain, um, Firenze, uh, Florence in Italy. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was quite the pronunciation that one there. Mate, I'm just I'm just I've helping... anyone pronounce Florence like that before. Mate, I'm just helping you with the pronunciation. Okay, that's that's why I was listening to them. I think I think you can say Antwerp. We're all good. Um... <laughs> but uh, no, I'm I'm really excited to to be seeing those new tournaments this year and like to see them have a an ATP license because I think a lot of the time they're I'll say relegated to the Challenger Tour, but it gives. You know, I mean, I didn't even know Gijón was a place in Spain and now it's going to be a 250 tournament. So it's it's great. And you'll probably see a lot of, I don't know, um, wild cards from those countries that you wouldn't normally see. So I think that's always fun when when this sort of thing happens. Most definitely, yeah. There is quite a stacked schedule of indoor hardcore events coming up. So still lots of opportunities for, for players who have not yet qualified for these um, Turin finals to collect a few more valuable points in the lead up to the tournament. So today, I think what we're going to go over is we're going to go over the players already qualified. There are four players who have already booked their spot on the flight to Turin, and there are currently four spots up for grabs. And we'll go over players who are kind of on the bubble, on, on the cusp of booking spots, uh, their spots at the ATP Tour finals. So do you want to just go over overview of what the tournament is, Hector? Yeah, so um, so the ATP Finals is a year-ending tournament each year that's played in November after the cease of the, the normal tennis season. Um, it comprises the top eight players at the end of the year and it's sort of, technically, it takes into account only the points they've earned that year. But if you think about it, by the end of the year, that's pretty much the rankings anyway. Um, and I actually quite like a little quirk of the of the ATP finals that if you have a grand slam champion that isn't within the top eight, they will take the place of the eighth player if they don't have enough points. So yeah, I think that's, that's quite a nice one, but um, if, if, if they sit within the top 20 of the rankings, they have, they have to be within the top 20, but not necessarily the top eight, but yeah, that's something that 
little um little foreshadowing there. Yeah, I yeah. like it. I like it. I mean, if only Alcaraz, you know, wasn't world number one, then he'd get in on a technicality. But our boy doesn't need technicalities. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. So yeah, this was this event was held in London for uh, for a number of years, and then recently, as of last year, it's moved to Turin on a five year contract. This will be the second of the five seasons it will be held in Italy. It's giving me PTSD, mate. I got tickets for the last year in London, but then it was uh, cancelled due to COVID. I was, uh, no, it wasn't cancelled, but it was played behind closed doors and it made me really, really sad. Yeah, because it is uh, a real exhibition of the best players in tennis and, and they, you know, they, they played the round robin format into the semi final final format. So no matter what day you go, like, I guess that's the risk you run. Um, having tickets for any other tennis tournaments. You don't really know what yep. kind of matches you're going to get. You don't know who's going to be playing. But if you get tickets at this event, you know for sure you're going to be seeing a top eight matchup. Yeah, you're definitely in for some cracking games in this tournament. ATP tournament with the most number of points, 1,500 for an undefeated winner. And I was thinking about it earlier. Um, you know, a round-robin win, that's that's 200 points. That's That's almost a title it's almost an ATP 250 title just for a win but when you equate it to who you're playing against it, it, it's great because it's, it's, it makes it more than just an exhibition tournament where these players are turning up getting a paycheck you know there is yeah. a lot on the line for their rankings going into the next year so it, you know these players are still out there playing for something yeah no exactly like they're, they're playing for for so much because I mean if you think about you know that some of the players are on that are going into it sits past for example around about four and a half thousand points undefeated winner can go up to 6,000, you know, really, really boost it. And that's another, it's a push for them to try and get there next year. Because if you're not in the top eight next year, you're not defending those points. You don't even it's give yourself the chance. Really, isn't it? Yeah. Bonus points as, as a reward to be in, in that top eight. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's why the, the best players to have played the game have usually cleaned up there, except for Rafa Nadal, because he's usually, his body's usually knackered by the end. Well, let's get on to that. Let, let's get on to that. Let's not tease, tease our listeners too much, mate. We'll, we'll go through this in points orders, starting from one to four, and then we'll work down with those on the outside looking in. So who is currently leading the race to Turin? Mate, mate, I think, I think we know the answer to that question. Yeah, we know. Clip that, clip that. We called that at the beginning of the year, didn't we, really? We called it as early as after Miami or even before Miami. We we just knew this was coming. Um, you said, you go for it. Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz. 6,460 points as of today being September the 30th. Um, a quick look through his resume this year. He's got got his Grand Slam title at the US Open. He's got two Masters 1000 titles at Madrid and Miami, and he's got a couple other titles at Rio and Barcelona. And he is, like I said, he's already qualified for what will be his debut at the ATP Tour Finals. Quick overview, I guess, of his year. Absolutely historic year for Ah. Carlos Alcaraz. He starts the year at world number 32. And then, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of people who kind of believed in his ability but who knew? Maybe, maybe I'm not saying we're the only ones who thought he would take this sort of leap. But you know, it's quite an extraordinary leap for a player to make of his age in this short space of time. 
he dominated, you know, I guess the tournament's younger brother last year at the ATP Next Gen Finals. You know, this year in 2022, no other player has more wins, more titles or more appearances and finals than Carlos. Mate, it's oh, it's just absolutely crazy. Like, it, if you were to say, you know, if you were to say Sinner, who won the Next Gen ATP Finals the year before that, was going to go and be the top seed for the one the next year and the world number one. You, you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't believe it, you know. And he was on a similar sort of, you know, trajectory and hype as Alcaraz. Not the same hype, but as in like, you, you could see him ha- having been made out of the same like base material. If you know what I mean, he's like one that you could compare him to. I'd say the closest like young sort of phenom. 30, Thirty-two in the world at the start of the year to world number one most titles, Grand Slam. It's just like I know, I know we bang on about Alcaraz all the time, but how can you not when he literally just become the youngest world number one ever? For even the more casual tennis fan, his you know purely his style of his you know aggressive, high paced sort of highlight reel sort of tennis just really attracts you as as a viewer as a, as a fan, and yeah, you just feel like this is to be the first of of many appearances at the ATP Tour Finals. It's his debut. It's his debut. How is it his debut? Next on the list, second currently in the race to Turin, is a fellow Spanish player, but a Spanish player with a bit more experience on the tour, Rafael Nadal, who sits on 5,810 points. Uh, Looking over his resume this year, he's got two slam titles, winning the Australian and then the French. No Masters 1,000 titles, but he's picked up a couple other wins in Acapulco and Melbourne. Uh, He has previously played at the ATP Tour Finals 10 times, but famously never won this event. Nope, nope. I mean, as we touched on earlier, well, everyone sort of knows, like by the end of the season, because of his such such a physically grueling game, the the toll that it usually takes on his knees, the hard courts, by the time he gets the end of the season... he he can't usually perform at his best when he gets there. And I think when he plays against, you know, Federer, Federer and Djokovic, who are, you know, pretty bloody great on like hard and indoor hard, especially Djokovic, he's just, he's never really been able to, yeah, to, to, to put it together. And it's, it's a shame because that's the only blot on his, his resume, really. I mean, a blot on a resume with a 22 time Grand Slam champion. It's kind of crazy saying like that, but like they like collecting these, you know, these milestones, these things. There's not a lot missing from these top players, but that's, that's one for him. And injury concerns to sort of hang over him at the moment as well. I mean, it, it was a year for him that was littered with, with injuries and, uh, recoveries and having to take time out from the tour. You know, he, he didn't play at, at that many tournaments this year, um, despite having the greatest win percentage on the tour. He only lost five times this year, a win percentage of 88.37. But he did have to pull out of the Labour Cup last week after that emotional doubles match with Federer, which I guess you could say is fair enough due to the fact that it's only an exhibition tournament. And there's yeah, been yeah. times earlier in this year where you think, you know, how was Nadal going to play? But again, Nadal just managed to find a way. So, mm. you know... It, you know, I, I would guess he will play at Turin. I think he will be fit enough to play. But, you know, like you said multiple times this year and before, he is constantly playing through pain. He's never pain-free. So, yep. you know, will this be the year that he finally gets that title? I'm, I'm not too sure. 
I, I I think it's pretty unlikely to be quite honest with you. I mean, zombie foot, abdominal tear, no. Like, and also with, with you know, with with young, hungry players like Alcraz and Rude, and Rude's really improved on, you know, on, on hard this year. And it's going to be an interesting field, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that later. Yeah, the third player who is already qualified is the Norwegian Casper Rude who sits on 4,885 points. Casper Rude has no Grand Slam titles or no Masters 1000 titles this year, but he's picked up three other titles at Buenos Aires, Geneva, and Stad. He has previously appeared at the ATP Finals once last year. Last year he made his debut, and he has zero titles at this event. Despite claiming no title better than an ATP 250, He's had a really brilliant year for Catherine. It's been, been a real breakthrough year in terms of his performances and the number of points he's managed to acquire, get himself to a career high of number two in the world. Although I believe he has dropped back down to three in the world now after his defeat in the quarterfinals in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, building on a debut appearance last year at the finals and two Grand Slam finals this year, having never previously reached any further than the quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. It's been a really great year. For, like I said, 43 wins. His only sort of downfall has been when he's come up against top 10 players, which he would do at this tournament. He's only two and four this season when coming up against players who are ranked top 10 in the world. So, you know, he may have his work cut out for him when he does turn up in Turin. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that's that's the thing with 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 Kasper Rude. We, we were chatting about it the other day, the fact that, you know, this this is how fine the margins are, I feel. Um, if um, Alcaraz didn't save that match point against Yannick Sinner, <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm still gassing about it. I can't believe it happened. Casper Kas- would be world number one. And as we were saying the other day, the most he has to his name in terms of titles is an ATP 250 event. And his yeah. record against top five, top 10 players is just abysmal, to be honest with you, to be called world number one. He'd never beaten someone within the top three before and he would have been world number one I know and it was was, it's it's funny when we were watching that um, that Labour Cup um, I mean I I didn't watch much of it I only really watched that we just um, watched the yeah Federer's retirement match yeah I saw the Murray match before that was decent but it was um, not you would have made it it was a British player sorry okay right yeah no I don't sorry 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 Um, but yeah we were saying out of a team made up of Roger Federer Rafa Nadal, Andy Murray, Novak oh Djokovic, God. and all these other stars. Casper Ruud was the highest ranked player. <laughs> yeah, Casper Ruud was the highest ranked player on that team. It was a joke. Crazy. Talking of Stefanos Tsitsipas, he is the fourth and final player who has already secured their spot at the ATP Tour Finals. He sits on 4,630 points. He has no Grand Slams this year. He's got one Masters 1000 title at Monte Carlo. He also one on the grass at Mallorca, and he has um, played at the ATP Finals for the past three years where he won it on his debut in 2019. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I watched that actually. I watched that live. Um, Against um, Dominic Team, I yeah. believe. It was it was it was it was a brilliant match. I really, really wanted Team to win as well. And I mean, we'll, we'll touch on it later, but Team are two-time finalists there. And, uh, the battle I mean, of the single-handed backhands, yeah. yeah. That's why I tuned in, mate. That is why yeah. I tuned in. Both lovely but different single-handed backhands. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Sitzpass, 
second highest number of uh, wins on the tour this year with 49. Um, and as, as you say, he, he had a, he had a great, great start to the season this year, semi-finals in Australia. Um, but I, I don't know. I think his, even though he was, you know, motoring on with the highest wins for a lot of the season until Alcaraz overtook by winning the US, um, I think his confidence like went down a little bit. Personally, I don't really understand why because he was having such a, you know, stellar season. He retained a Masters 1000 title, like, and not a lot of players have actually done that in, you know, previous years except for the Big Four, you know. So that's that's a massive milestone in his. He's only you know, won two Masters 1000 titles, and it's been back to back years at Monte Carlo. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's um, I don't think that's. I, a, I agree yeah. on your point that he's lost confidence. I think he's <laughs> ever since he got rattled by Kyrgios in that um, yeah. third round loss of Wimbledon, he's not been the same player, has he? I mean, he, he did. He did reach a final or something, didn't he, in one of those Masters events um, on the North American hardcourt swing. But I, I do agree, and, and I think it was uh, exemplified in that uh, loss in the first round of the US Open. He comes into the US Open with a chance of becoming, of one of five players with a chance of becoming number one in the world, and he loses in his first round match against Galan. So, yeah. No, yeah. That, that was, I think, yeah, I think I agree. Like two, And he's not played since. Two disappointing Grand Slam losses for him, you know, against against Kyrgios. I think after losing to Kyrgios in Wimbledon as well, I think he was suffering from a, you know, from like personality, like a, attack. I think that's how he felt. You know, he, he called yeah. Kyrgios evil. He called him evil and a bully and they played doubles together. They were mates. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was a circus. Yeah. But it's at the end of the day, it's a tennis match. You, you've got to put it behind you. And I think he was... I don't know. I think what we touched on in the previous podcast as well with the US Open, I think he was his strong feelings on on-court coaching. I think he was disappointed that he didn't make it further now that that had been temporarily allowed, you know? So I think he was trying to maybe prove a point that it should be allowed. And he was disappointed in himself for not proving that, you know, but he's like 49 wins in the season, second second most wins. Yeah, I think it's a lot in a lot about confidence for Sits Pass and also just um trying to, I don't know, be authentic like to himself, because he's an odd dude, let's be honest. He is yeah. an odd dude with with dude. out there opinions. And yeah. um yeah, I s I don't know. I mean ne- neither of us are, are his biggest fan I used to used to be, but ever since Toilet Gate we don't talk about it. <laughs> um no. But yeah, so those, that's, uh, yeah, that's 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 our four players who've already qualified. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a shot at who we think who we think is going to make it over these next five weeks competition. Um, so we've got four spots to take up, and it's not dead to rights, is it? No, definitely not. I think one player who will pretty much definitely be going is someone who's not inside the top eight right now. But as you alluded to with the Grand Slam winner rule. Novak Djokovic, um, he's pretty much nailed on to book his spot to the ATP Tour Finals to make his 15th appearance at the event, despite not winning any ATP points. When he came down to SW19, he did win his 21st Grand Slam title at Wimbledon this year, um, as well as also winning a Masters title in Rome. And um, he will be coming to Turin looking for his sixth title um, at the ATP Tour Finals after winning in 2008 and then winning four years straight from 2012 through to 2015. It's been a well-documented 
polarizing year for the former world number one after being deported from Australia, not allowed into the US to play uh, the US Open or play in any of those um, hardcore Masters events in Cincinnati or Montreal, etc. Um, but yeah, it's very unlikely that he's going to finish the year outside the world top 20. So he's pretty much booked himself a spot as the eighth player to qualify for these tournaments. To, to be completely honest with you, I, I know I mentioned it at the start saying that if you win, if you're not in the top eight, you um, and you win a Grand Slam. I think the top 20 rule slipped my mind. But I, I forgot that Djokovic was that player in that position because in your mind, it's only going to happen to a player who wins their first slam out of nowhere, if yeah. you know what I mean. And I forgot yeah. that he won Wimbledon because... I know, because uh, he, he's on... He's currently on 1,970 points. And say he had won um, um, Wimbledon. I don't think he would actually already be qualified, but he would be on um, 3,970 points, which would put him fifth in the race at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So he's, you know, despite the fact that he's been obviously not as good as he has was in 2021, but he just hasn't played that many tournaments this year, but he's still in a position where had those women points counted, he would be fifth in the race still, despite not playing that many tournaments. Yeah, he currently sits at 15 in the rankings, but he'll be there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've, in, in those in those three other spots, obviously, next next up in the pecking order, we have Daniel Medvedev on 3,375 points. Uh, 2020 titleist, also winning against team in the final. I was sad to see team lose two years in a row because I'm a big, big fan of team. Actually, it's good to see him playing again. Um, it's not been the best year for him this year. Obviously, riddled with injuries. Um, one title in Los Cabos, a 250. Um, no Slam titles, no Masters. Um, you know, some, some weird, you know, crowd antics last, uh, last week, this week as well. I was loving it, you know, with the weird, I don't know. He's, he's, he's an odd guy, but I like him. Odd good as opposed to sits pass. Um, but yeah, I think, I hope he does make it. I hope he does make it because he, he always makes it, um, fun and interesting to watch, you know, banging in, banging down, um, second serve aces when you match point down yeah i still remember that from last year yeah right, get, that round robin match against dinner yeah, yeah. that was no that respect. was ridiculous man it was so good he, he always he always makes it fun so i'd love to see him um see him make it let's let's have a look at what tournaments he's scheduled to play um so he's scheduled to play astana and vienna um this year so two two 500 tournaments um astana the I believe it was a single year license. No, it's not a single year license because they had two, um, two fifties before, but that was in Sultan. Been bumped up, uh, sorry, bumped up to a 500 this year in Kazakhstan. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I hope he makes it. And I, I think, I think he will. I think he will actually because he, he'll be playing in Paris. He'll be playing in those two 500s. That's 2000, um, points up for grabs for him. And he's only defending about 700 out of those 2000. So I think, I think he'll make it. Out of those, out of those eight, it's not you know, it's not a big shout. But what, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's pretty much um, shooed into to go this year. I think you know uh, he's always been pretty prolific on the indoor hard courts, and um, you know, he, despite the fact that he's only got one title this year, he just hasn't been as cutthroat in the finals. He's he's played in four, but only won one final so far this year. So um, you know, he hasn't been as cutthroat. 
in any of his games, I don't think. I know it sounds weird, but I think he's lost a bit of an edge. I think after his injury, he has. Yeah, definitely. He seems like he hasn't really come back with the same sort of bite that he had before, but it may just be taking a bit more time than usual. It's it's, it's still been a, a good year and he was, you know, he was the first player outside a member of the Big Four to, to crack the top of the world rankings this year for yeah. the first time in 18 years. So if you make number one in the world, as he did for, I guess at the first time he was only there for a couple of weeks, but he stood at world number one for quite a few weeks um, throughout yeah. the middle of the year. Yeah. You've got to count that as a good year. So, oh, 100%, yeah. 100%. It feels slightly tainted because it wasn't, I think it was earned because of the consistent work he's doing in the, been doing in the previous years. Um, I honestly thought he earned it, but because of the Wimbledon points, Mm. Um, you know, differences there. And you can't forget he had his, you know, his heartbreaking loss to Nadal at the Australian Open final at the start of this year from yeah, two thirds yeah. up. And he should have put him away. Like, I know it sounds crazy and you can't say he should have put him away against one of the greatest players of all time. If, if you're a player who's, who's, who's sat on top of the rankings for a, for a decent portion of the year, you, you would expect to make the, uh, end of year event, wouldn't yeah. you? So yeah, I, I can definitely see Daniel Medvedev there. Um, but what what do we what do we think about the other Russian? I think another player who probably will be there is the, his fellow Russian compatriot Andrei Rublev. He sits on three thousand and fifty five points. Um, no Slam titles, no Masters one thousand titles for, for Rublev this year, but he has picked up um, the trophy in Marseille, Dubai, and Belgrade. He's played at the Tour Finals for the past two years, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Again, I guess similar to Rude, you know, despite amassing up over 40 wins this year and three titles, he does still give the impression that he can't do it on the big stage. Um, gives it the impression that mentally he's not quite there. Um, you know, he's got that, that infamous temper where he just absolutely loses his head. But, you know, he, he has shown on occasion this year his ability to to come back from, from from a meltdown, to come back and, and and win tough games. But I just feel his progression in the past couple of years has sort of stagnated um, when you think about the fact he's kind of been in the similar kind of, you know, topped world number, world number five, but he's been sitting in that kind of five to 10 to 15 range for the past couple of years and hasn't really progressed any further than that. Is he ever going to do that? I'm not sure, but, you know, to get to the ATP Tour Finals three years in a row, you know, that's it's, it's pretty good going. Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, he he hasn't given us any evidence in these big events, in the in the Grand Slams, in the Masters 1000s. He's got to a final for Masters. You know, he's, he's got to, what, five or six quarterfinals of Slams now and lost them all? Yeah. He hasn't given us, an, he hasn't given us any evidence when he gets to those points that he's going to go any further. So why would we think it? And if he's not even doing it at tour events, let alone grand slams. Yeah. He was the ATP 500 King a couple of years ago, mowing them up, you know, just literally just picking them up like they're nothing. But he, yeah, he, he, he cuts a, he cuts a forlorn, you know, a sad figure sometimes when, when you see him losing it at himself. And I'm kind of sad for him because he he seems like a nice guy and he, he does lose it and get angry, but I think he gets angry at himself because of his expectations. And it kind of makes me a bit, makes me a bit sad for the dude, you know, because like he's ridiculously talented, but as I've mentioned before, he is slightly one dimensional when it comes to 
I think thinking of a plan, a plan B, it's, yeah. yeah I, I think I, to your point, it was like about the only reaching the quarterfinals and no further at the slams. It was even this year at the US, we were chatting about it and he, you know, he just, he'd beaten Shapovalov in the third round in a five set mega match. And then he absolutely brushed Norrie aside in that fourth round match, even after coming that. in as not the favourite. Um, but even after those two big games, I still thought he wouldn't beat Tiafo in the quarterfinal. And he yep. didn't. He crumbled. He, he he lost in straight sets. And it was just... It was really does sad. Does he have the bottle against the top players in, in the big tournaments? And at the moment, no. But he doesn't have the bottle against the players who aren't, like, not, not top players. You know, Tiafo isn't a top player. No. If he doesn't have that... Just on the big stage, isn't it? In a quarterfinal, then he's not going to have it against the top players, is he? Like, no, no offence to Tiafo, He's an amazing player, you know, but he's not seen as a top player. So if you can't have it against them, then like, it's just, it's just not happening. I think that's where he, you know, when it, when it comes to playing the top eight in the world here, I don't, I don't see him going far. Semi-finals at most. If he has a few, if he has a few like cracking wins, you know, if he finds himself in a group with, I reckon he could beat, I reckon he could beat Nadal and Rude maybe sits a pass, but I don't think he's going to be beating Alcaraz or Medvedev. That is seven of the eight spots filled. Have you got someone who you reckon will, will sneak in? Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of a difficult one. One thing I like looking at when it comes to um, these sorts of things is is seeing what tournaments these people are signed up for because this is when you really see how much they want to get there. You mm. know, let's take one of these people in question, for example, who's next in line for the for the throne of places, Felix Auger Aliassime. He is signed up to every single tournament he can be signed up to between now and then. So it's pretty clear his intentions. You know, he's signed up to Astana, Florence, Antwerp, and Basel. That's a stacked um, schedule, yeah. Yeah, that is. I mean, he's he's a young he's a young guy, so you know the 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 body will be fine. Um, but he's he's going he's going for his debut at the event off um off gaining his maiden title this year in Rotterdam. There's no other player in the um, top 40 um, who is playing four events in the next four weeks. He's the only one. You can just see it when, when you look at that. If you look at, if you take the rest of the, the tour for an example, and then you take those maybe six or seven players that have a the slimmest chance, they're all playing at least two, a lot of the time three. Whereas if you look at the rest, it's usually two. You know, you get you get players entering like um I don't know, like Antwerp or um you know, like the Napoli tennis open, like coming up to it and you're like, right, you wouldn't normally be doing this. It's pretty clear. Um I oh I don't, I don't know who to choose. So like we we've got either um Felix or her catch. Mm. Um, and I think based on previous results in previous years and hardcore and indoor hardcore record, I'm more likely to choose her catch out of the two. Um, and also because he's already had an appearance there, he knows what it takes to get there. Um, although it's making me lean, ah, it's a really difficult one because Felix had a really good year, actually. You know, he, he smashed a lot of um, you know, previously unattained goals, you know, get getting the title, having some having some big wins, top five wins. Um uh I'm gonna say her catch out of the two. I'm gonna say her catch if I had to choose. What about you? 
I would probably be leaning the other way. I reckon Felix Auger-Elia Steam. I think um, I think that point you made was quite key in terms of his keenness um, from himself and his team, Tony Nadal, to get to Ooh, the ATP Tour Finals. I think, you know, as someone who's not made this event before, he'd be very keen to get there. Mm. He's had a decent year as well. Like you say, he won his first um, final at the ninth time of asking earlier <laughs> on in February in, 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 in Rotterdam. And, you got there. You know, um, quarterfinal appearances at the Australian Open and four Masters 1000 events. Um, and, you know, fresh off of a victory over Novak Djokovic at the Labour Cup. So, you know, is he in, you know, I reckon he could probably build himself some form and put together some decent performances to to sneak in. He is currently sitting 200 odd points ahead, 200 a bit points ahead of her catch. So her catch has got the catching up to do. Yeah. Um, her yeah, I, th- I, th- yeah. I think it is probably between those two for that last spot. Yeah. Um, but actually, again, coming back round to that lack of points from Wimbledon, um, a person who'd be sitting above both these two players would be Nick Kyrgios. NK, mate. NK. I know. He'd be on approximately 3,000, if not just under 3,000 points. Um, on the year, had he got those twelve hundred from reaching the final at Wimbledon? Real shame. It's a real shame, mate. I would love to see him at this event. Oh, and he'd be electric on these sorts of um, courts, wouldn't he? So he would. You know, I think I'm not sure how many events he's playing in, in the next coming few weeks. I don't know if he's lost a bit of steam. Um, he's playing at Tokyo next week, and he's playing at Basel too. So yeah, I, I, I think his chances of getting there now are pretty much non-existent. But he sits 20th in the race at the moment. So, yeah, pretty much no chance. But, yeah, um, it's, it's actually, it actually is a real shame for him not to, not to be in contention after playing some real high quality. Some of, some of, if not the best tennis we've seen all year has come off his bat. Mate, I mean, if you think, if it was a normal year, it would be the best career of his, you know, best. Uh, year of his best, career, best, best career of his year, yeah. Best, yeah, exactly. It, it would have been the best career of his year. Classic, classic. At least, at least I can pronounce it. Like a hot butt through knife, okay? Yeah. <sighs> hot knife through butter. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're learning. We're learning. It's a learning process, guys. Um, but yeah, I think he, he's never made the the finals before, and I think that's because if you have to make the finals, you have to do it all within mm. all within that one one year one stretch. And I think he can have really good stretches two, three months, but then he can't keep up all year in order to gain those points necessary to make it there. I know. It's, Unless you have yeah, that pepper patch during win. the slam like he did, but you have to get that win in the slam and, you know, you, you can't just rely on a couple of purple patches here and there. Like you, do. Yeah. you have to be consistently good throughout the year. Because if if he if he actually made it there somehow, he could win the thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. He could win definitely. the thing. Like, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like he, he actually made it there, but you know, as we can see, he's, he's, his record that we mentioned before against top, top players is ridiculous. So if he actually makes it there, I'd love to see him there, you know. Mm. I, I really hope he can make a, like a big concerted effort and as much effort as he, you know, and, and heartfelt, you know, effort that you put into the US Open this year. He was devastated after that loss to Hatchinoff. He shouldn't have lost. Like that no. was a, he should not no. have lost that match. Yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's coming down to the wire. The last month leading into the race to Turin, like we've gone over, Alcaraz, Nadal, Rude, Sitsipas, they're going to be there. 
We've got Medvedev, Rublev, Felix Auger, Eliasim, Herkatch, and Djokovic fighting for those final four spots. Yeah. It's going to be a fun tour, and I'm looking forward to it. But one player who unfortunately will not be there this year or ever again is... No, no. Is the Swiss it's... maestro, oh, God. the beloved Roger Federer, who has recently announced his retirement from the sport of tennis, finishing it off with that doubles match with mm. Rafael Nadal at the Labour Cup. We both stayed up and watched it. It we was did, an emotional affair. It was and very emotional. Hector, I know you've got plenty of words to say on this matter, so I'll let you take the floor here. It started on a day in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, honestly. You've read, you read the biography, haven't you? Mate, I can't read. I listen to audiobooks. I can't read. No, don't, me too, mate. Me too. Honestly, oh don't, don't, don't be expecting me to, uh, to read here, buddy. Greatest game ever played. Don't worry about it. Um, so it started on a day in 2008. Round a friend's house. Stumble upon this absolute epic happening. Nadal against Federer, Wimbledon final. I was, I, that's, that's my first tennis memory. Federer is all of my early tennis memories, just him yeah. being the GOAT, even you know, before I knew any, any other tennis players. He, he just, he transcends, he just transcends sport. He, he does. I know it's cliche, but he does. And I just think, even though he's been overtaken by, Djokovic and Nadal now in the Grand Slam race, so many people will have him as their goat in their heart because of his pure elegance and class and just natural skill and ability. And I think the fact that we're having to say these things also makes us realise how amazing those other two players are and how much more amazing they've made each other throughout their careers. But I, yeah, it was, it was a bit much for me, to be honest with you. And I know my, my, my stepdad, Tim is a, is a big, he's a big Federer fan. I think if he was there, there, there would have been a few tears. It was, I was close. I was, my jaw was Did he on not the have floor. a spare, 25 grand to spare to go, uh, no, he, go, he go and sit and here too? He, as he's had a heart operation, he couldn't sell one of his kidneys, you know, it, oh, he, it would be yeah. too, too much for him, but I've got one kidney now and I made it. So, uh, no, I, yeah, mate, I really, I really, really wanted to sell a kidney and, and go to that event. But imagine buying one of those tickets and getting it for like the third night. This was on the first night he played. But, mate, Roger Federer has retired. And I mean, we knew it was coming. He's 41 years old. It was sad to see his last um, singles match end with a, a bagel set in Wimbledon um, against her catch. That was sad. And also I'm, I'm, I've still got PTSD over his missing two match points to take the title in 2019. Actually, I don't talk about it it's too much. And I mean, he lost, you know, squad another match point that night on the doubles, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, didn't feel like anything really happened like that because it was, there, there were tears, there were tears straight away for him. And I think everyone that was there in the crowd witnessed sporting history even though it's an exhibition that right there the still of him crying giving a reassuring hand sat next to a crying Rafael Nadal will never leave me oh it's gonna be iconic mate for years to come mate they're, they're best mates I love it I love their bromance when when does when does that happen you you wouldn't you wouldn't see that with Lewis Hamilton and Max Max Verstappen, would you? 
No, no. Like when, where, where does that happen in sport? Your, where your greatest, one of your greatest rivals is also one of your best friends, crying together, holding each other. And everyone was just losing it. I was losing it, mate. I couldn't believe what was happening. It hadn't, I hadn't really processed that he was retiring, to be quite honest, and, until we were actually there watching it. And Tiafo doesn't seem to care as well. He's absolutely leathering balls at him, mate, at the net. Uh, perfectly within the rights of the game, mate. Oh, I just, no, it's uh, bad, bad taste. Bad taste, Tiafo. I'll forgive you in time. But he's a 41-year-old man. Have some respect. Um, but yeah, it was I uh I wasn't ready for it, but it was it was really good fun and just bloody emotional. Just mm, I'm I'm really glad that you managed to get um the Eurosport password from your mum. Oh, Discovery yeah, yeah. Plus. Discovery thanks. Plus. Thanks, thanks Mum. Come on, Clark. Yeah, thank thanks. Thanks, Toby's mum. Um, but yeah, I, I worth, worth staying up to what one half one in the morning to watch worth every yeah. second. No, yeah, it was, no, it, it was, it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant match. First and foremost, it was great to see him on the court one last time. And yeah, like you say, all of mine and I'm sure your early tennis memories are of Roger Federer at Wimbledon. It's just iconic. Yeah. Um, so he will be a player who will be, uh, sorely missed on the tour and it's going to be weird isn't it it's going to be a lot of fans who are going to have to find someone new to root for isn't it so yeah well I mean we'll it'll be interesting in the direction of a certain Carlos Alcaraz if they're going to be glory hunting for years to come still oh, so yeah no, definitely mate all those Maybe. all those Federer fans have literally just slipped onto Carlos Alcaraz fanages you know it's um, thanks for everything Roger yeah absolutely um, alright should we call it there I think, mate. I think I'm going to have to. Um, I'm going to start tearing up. It's been it's, it's been a week, but I'm not ready for it yet. All right, just a Pector's uh, laptop from some severe water damage. We will <laughs> call it there. Um, another great episode. I'm sure everyone is perfectly well informed on the race to Turin, and oh, um, we will catch you guys soon uh, for another episode. Thank you so much for listening, Hector. Catch you soon, mate. It was a delight. Cheers, yeah, guys. Um, as always, thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 B